Jonah chapter 2. Everybody remember where you were 18 years ago today? Well, we could use a prayer of desperation for our nation, couldn't we? I bet you back, I bet you back 18 years ago you had some desperate prayers that day, didn't you? I'll never forget. I was in Cincinnati, Cincinnati Ohio. Uh, I was speaking at a hotel uh, at a conference, and my flight that afternoon was supposed to go from Cincinnati to Chicago. That flight never happened because every plane in America was grounded 18 years ago today. And I'm really excited that I'm in church tonight on the 9-11 anniversary. I think America should have run to church today. I think our whole country should have ran to church today. But, you know, we've gone, in the last 18 years, we've gone farther and farther away from God. Instead of closer to God, we are now way, I think we're much farther away than we were even 18 years ago. Sad, isn't it? It's sad that all that didn't get anyone's attention other than kind of a hit the snooze button on the alarm clock. I really believe that God is strengthening us. And so as we look at this message tonight, it's to us individually, but I believe it's also to the church. God wants us to have a prayer of desperation that gets us where God wants us to be vertically with him. And he wants that for our nation. But uh, I was excited today, Larry and I and my daughter, Ireland, we got to, uh, on the 9-11 anniversary, it became a great talking point. We got to share uh, for two hours with two Mormon missionary, two young girls about the same age as my daughter, and I got to train my daughter on how to share her faith, and then, you know, they got the whole gospel, didn't they? <laughs> they all of it, and it went really, really well, and I was reminded because 18 years ago, I was driving back from Cincinnati, I had an atheist in the car the entire time, and I shared, the, he got eight hours of the gospel, he really did, he got eight hours of the gospel, and we've never talked since. No, I'm kidding, uh, we actually continue to work together, and, and I actually reached out to him back not too long ago, I told him, hey, I saw you one of your LinkedIn conferences look really good. And so, but um, again, let the Lord use these things to stir you to know that, hey, there's a lost and dying world. Amen? Now, that Jonah was sent to a lost and dying world, wasn't he? But did he go? No. <laughs> Not when he was sent. Let's pick it up uh, with Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, even though. Um, you know, we're not doing chapter 1, just chapter 2 here. But let's pick it up in verse 17 of chapter 1. Uh, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Thank the Lord that God had the, just, just the right size, right? And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Can you imagine? Total darkness. Pitch black. If, you, if you're afraid of the dark, you would have hated this inside of a whale. And Jonah prayed, verse 1, to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. Has God ever answered you in an affliction? Out of the belly of Sheol, or hell. He's like, this felt like hell itself. If whatever he could conjure up what hell might be like, minus the heat. Although it wouldn't be too... Uh, pleasant in there no matter what. I cried out and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and flood, the floods surrounded me. Your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Do you ever feel like God's far, far off? Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. 
You may hear that? Waters to the soul. Now, waters can't penetrate the soul, but he felt like they were. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. He thought he was, this was where he was going to finish forever. Thought he was condemned to this place. Yet you have brought my, up my life in the pit. And the same moment he thinks that, he thinks, now I'm not going to stay here. You ever been there? You waffle in the same sentence. This is never going to change. Lord, this is going to change. Oh, Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would speak mightily through your word. Remove me from the equation. May your spirit speak. Lord, take any preparation. Use that. But ultimately, Lord, anoint your word by your spirit to minister to your people, your sons and daughters here tonight. Lord, I pray that it would be a balm. It would be an oil. It would be a comfort. But it would also be a conviction and a correction if necessary. Lord, you'd bring us all to that place where we're in that right relationship with you. No disobedience, no rebellion. But Lord, I pray that you would just remove the distractions of the day, remove the enemy from this place, and let us just bathe in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for this time. We pray for our nation, Lord. It's 9-11. We pray that our nation would turn back to you and would have a prayer of desperation. But Lord, let it start in the church where there's so much lukewarm, where there's so much resistance to really doing what you've asked us to do. And Lord, we just pray that you would just uh, draw us all closer and conform us to your image tonight. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to get right into this because I want to be uh, conscious of time. I, what I've done tonight, a little different, no three, three bullet outline. I want to go through this text and look at the 10 things, and there's, there's more than 10, but I've enumerated 10 things that I believe we can learn from this prayer. And there's a lot of prayers in the Bible where you can look at and there's a list of things. Say, wow, that right there. I can re that resonates with me. I've prayed like that. I've felt like that. You know what I'm saying? When you read a passage in the Psalms, you're like, wow, I can empathize what David is saying here. So we want to understand uh, what it is that God, God put. We know that the Lord prepared this fish, right? And so what is it that God had prepared to do in the heart of Jonah? Because God hasn't put him here to destroy him. And I don't know what you may be going through right now, but let me tell you, God has not let you go through what you're going through to destroy you if you belong to Jesus. Amen? And even if you don't belong to Jesus, if you're still alive, you know, I was sharing the gospel with two people, no matter what happens with even an unbeliever, if they're still alive, it's for God to do what? To draw them to him. So it's not in any way God's trying to destroy until, until that line in the sand comes when we have to depart from here. So I believe that God has some things that we can all learn tonight. And the first thing we want to take a look at, it's found in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed. Just start with those three words. Just think of your life or your day. Then, fill in the blank of your name, prayed. Whatever's going on, and tomorrow might have something happen, and you're going to remember these words, then Jonah prayed. Because you're like, I need to stop and pray. 
I was driving Sam back to the airport, and we were talking about, in, in my personal study, I'm in the book of Joshua now. I finished the first five books, and I'm in my personal study. I'm in Joshua chapter what, 10 now, but uh, we were talking about Joshua, and Sam's reminded me, he goes, you know, Joshua only lost two battles. Both times, he failed to what? Pray. Pray. I was, so as I was driving my daughter to this lunch meeting with, you know, to uh, share the gospel with these two Mormon missionaries, I said, you know, Ireland, Joshua only lost two battles. Both times he failed to pray. So let's pray and go win. And whatever you're going to do tomorrow or next week, just think about this. You're about to do homework with the kids. It's going to go poorly or not as good as it could go if you stop and pray. Whatever, little things, big things, just stop and pray. So he stopped and prayed. Now, obviously, he's got a huge problem here, massive. One of the best response, but it's not just that he prayed. Jonah prayed to the Lord for the last two words there, his God. It's the fundamental difference between many people that say a prayer on Twitter, prayers for Bahamas, prayers for New York City. If you don't have God as your Lord and Savior, then he's not your God, right? Jonah not only stopped to pray, but he prayed to his God. One of the best responses we can ever have in any situation is to stop and pray. Some people at certain times will pray to God, but his children pray to their God. Personally, you, you talk to God as Father, right? Your God. Not somebody else's God, your God. He was Jonah's God. He was Jonah individually. Yes, he was other people in Israel's God, but he was Jonah's personal God. And I'm always amazed that while I'm talking to God personally, so are you, personally. We're all having this one-on-one -on -one with God. And yet we can have a group meeting with the Lord too, like in, a, in a, a larger corporate prayer. Jonah may have foolishly strayed, and he did, and strained his relationship with his Heavenly Father. Have you ever strained your relationship with God? I have. Sometimes it's a short period of time. But he still had, even with a strained relationship, he still had a personal relationship, right? You ever, you ever have you and your spouse are not in a good mood towards each other? I'm not going to look at any couples. I'm going to look at the see. You know, uh, you ever had where you're not in the best mood towards each other? You might have a strain that moment, but you still have a personal relationship, right? doesn't mean you're headed for divorce at that moment. There's a strain, but you still have a personal relationship. And the way to kind of dissolve those issues is to dialogue. And the way when you have something with the Lord is to dialogue with God, to talk to the Lord, no matter what you've done. Understand that his prayer and ours, especially when he, being Jonah, has been in disobedience, he's relying on the faithfulness of God here, not his own faithfulness. Amen? He's relying on the faithfulness of God because God could say, oh, you, you really screwed up. I'm not going to listen. But he doesn't. No matter where you are tonight, no matter what, where anyone is here, we all have to stop and pray. If somebody here was unsaved, they would need to stop and pray first, the first time for salvation. Amen? But everything starts with prayer. Lord, it's a talking to God. Even salvation, our salvation started with a prayer, but there's a prayer life that happens after that, after we've blown it, when we need help, Jonah, then Jonah prayed. Stop and pray. Pray for God's help. Pray for God's peace. 
Pray for God's guidance. Pray for God's wisdom. You will never learn, and nor, nor will I, we'll, we'll never get to the place where we're praying too much. Do you agree with that? Paul said, pray without ceasing. If anyone has reached that, tell me. But you've reached the point where you're praying without ceasing. Now, I will find that I'm praying far more often the longer I walk with the Lord. In different situations, I'm praying about this. I'm praying about this. I'm talking to the Lord at traffic lights. I'm, you know, Lord, give me wisdom of this. How are we going to solve this? I don't have a good answer on this, Lord. I don't even have a good idea on this, Lord. You know, that kind of thing. It's a good place to be. Number two, then Jonah prayed the Lord is God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. He cried out to the Lord. He prayed in response to his desperate need. The more desperate we are, the more likely we are to cry out to God. See, a lot of people don't pray much because everything's going well. On easy street, things are going well. Learn to invest in a prayer life long before things go bad. It's a really good thing. Have that communion with God, not just when... But the more desperate our need, the more narrow our focus. Would you agree with that? The more desperate our need, the more narrow our focus, uh, at least especially at the outset. Our desperate times make for very simple prayers. You ever hear kids pray? It's great. Pray like a sentence. Lord, save everyone on planet Earth. Amen. That's kind of, you know, it's a, that kind of kid's prayer. Lord, heal aunt so-and-so. Adults are like, they'll turn into eight paragraphs. But if it's sincere, a lot of times when they're desperate prayers, they're sincere prayers. And when they're sincere prayers, they're often very, very straight like an arrow, simplistic when we cry out. He said, out, uh, he said, out, I cried out to the Lord. He cried out. We don't even have a lot of verbiage here. Just cried out to the Lord. Pastor Jim Simbla up at Brooklyn Tabernacle, I love this quote by him. He said, God is attracted to weakness. God is attracted to yours and my weakness. When a baby cries, they don't have any words, right? There's no words. Just the cry alone says a mom's ear goes... If it could do like dog's ears, you know, when they hear something, you know, they could move around. They're like, what's, what's going on, right? Attracted to weakness. God hears us cry, no words, and he's attracted to that because now I see my sons and daughters really need my help, and they know they need my help. Helpless like a baby gets God's attention. Hey, I got it all figured out. does not get God's attention. Matthew 14, 30, you know, when Peter... Stepped out of the boat. You've got to give him credit. At least he stepped out. Everybody else said, hey, let's give it a try, Peter. We'll, we're praying for you, buddy. I hope it works out. You know, you know everybody else, uh, uh, if they even did pray. But uh, Peter, you've got to give him credit. He stepped out of the boat. He was afraid. He began to sink, and he had this long, verbose prayer. Lord, save me. And Jesus responded, didn't he? Why? Because it was a sincere prayer. It wasn't verbose. It wasn't... It was a cry for help. He really was, he would have shouted it across the waves and, Lord, save me. That crying out can be just a cry of, you know, that's inside. No one even hears, God would hear it. It's just some tear running down your face as you're laying on a pillow. God can hear it. Almost no words at all. God, well, of course, it doesn't have to be words. God can hear it. Romans 8.26 says, But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings 
that cannot be uttered. Sometimes you don't even have the right words to pray. Amen? Say, Lord, I don't even know how to pray for this. I'm just broken. I'm just disturbed. I'm just unsettled. I'm just anxious. I'm just depressed. I'm just whatever. Fill in the blank. I don't know, Lord, how to pray for this. But the Holy Spirit, if we really are humbling ourselves, and if we are sincere, the Holy Spirit says, I'll take over from there. I'll intercede on your behalf. God will hear. He's attracted to that weakness. But it also says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Now, Jonah kind of goes back and forth between God's hearing, not hearing, hearing, not hearing. Again, that's, our, that's that battle we have internally when we're praying. We're like, I think I have faith. I don't have faith. I think I have faith. I don't have faith. And yet God says, keep pressing in. But he says here that the Lord answered me, or he answered me. So number three, if you're taking notes, he knew God could hear and was listening. Aren't you glad God's listening? I'm, right now, as I'm teaching, I know God's listening to this message. He's listening to see, are you going to stay true to the Word of God, which I'm, I'm going to do my best. I might make an accidental mistake, but it won't be on purpose. And when you pray, you might make an accidental mistake praying, but it won't be on purpose, amen? Because you're believing that God is hearing you. You're saying, Lord, I know that you're hearing. He knew God was hearing. Remember what led Jonah away from the Lord was not that he didn't believe in God's love and God's power and God's glory. Jonah believed in all of that. We even see him testify about it to the sailors that were on the boat. He's like, I, I serve the God who made heaven and all this stuff. We know Jonah didn't have any issues with God's power and expanse and any of that. Jonah believed all of that. He even had his personal relationship with God. Jonah believed all those things and more. He just didn't want to do what God asked him to do. That's what it came down to. You ever been there? You believe everything about God, you just don't want to do what he's actually asking you to do. But even still, he knew the heart of God. And that even though he had stepped in the wrong direction, he knew because of his personal relationship with God, he knew God was hearing this sincere prayer, this cry for help. He knew God was still hearing in spite of those areas that he resisted. Taking notes, number four in verse three. Let's move to verse three. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and your billows and your waves passed over me. Jonah knew that God had allowed, in fact, had orchestrated the circumstances. Sometimes when you and I have waves billowing over us, we're convinced that God, part of our flesh, is convinced that God was nowhere around, and, Lord, how did you miss this one? I just got hit by a tsunami, and you, you, could, have, uh, you could have warned me, did, did you not know about this? Prayer takes us through a process. We have the desperate need or situation, but the Lord slows things down like slow motion at some point in time. All of a sudden, we start to kind of, and if you know, those of you who know sports, especially football, they say that the game slows down for the quarterback the better they get, right? The game gets slower. They see the field kind of developing. And we're reminded that everything around us, the Lord has allowed it. In fact, uh, he sends us directly into things. 
and sends things our way that surround us, and God already knows they're going to overwhelm us. Did you know God's going to allow things in your life, and maybe he already has, most of you are adults, I'm sure he has, that will absolutely overwhelm you. He'll allow them. On purpose. You know, we just had a pastor yesterday committed suicide on Greg Laurie's staff, Jared Wilson. Um, I don't care what your title is, you can be overwhelmed. I've been overwhelmed many times in this role as a pastor. I mean, just flat out, Lord, I don't know. You ever been there? God will allow things to overwhelm you. But he knows when you're overwhelmed, you have one of two options. Look to him or look to yourself. And you already, then you realize yourself can't do anything anyway. How are you going to get out of the dark belly of a fish that's deep in the ocean? not away. He says that you cast me into the deep. Look at the wording. You cast me into the deep. Your floods surrounded me. Your billows. He's so well aware that God has not only allowed this, but even sent it and orchestrated the whole thing. God led the children of Israel. Remember, he led them to the edge of what? The Red Sea. That was their forward position. Red Sea right here. God leads them to the Red Sea here. On both sides is mountains. It's a wadi, which they have in the Middle East. You have wadis that, you know, they're crevices. So they can't go up. They can't go right or left. They can't go forward. And the backside, he said, now Pharaoh's army is going to hem you in on the backside. Wonderful, Lord. Right? God led them right there. Lord, uh, you know, there was, no, there was no bridge. There was no Hampton Roads tunnel. None of that stuff. Rocky steep incline on both sides. And the Lord allowed their... Rear position wasn't just the Egyptian army, but an angry, bloodthirsty army. In Exodus 14.10, it says the people were very afraid. And the children of Israel did what? They cried out to the Lord. It was a heartfelt cry. But Moses said these words to the people, and God wants to say them to you and I sometimes. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Jonah is learning right now to just stand still. Yes, God's allowed this, but I need to just stop. Lord, be still and know that you're God. Be still and know that you're God. He goes on in verse 4. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. Taking notes. Number five here, he knew that chastening and correcting was involved. Well, we love chastening, don't we? We're excited to get chastening. In Jonah's case, he had been in absolute rebellion. And there's always consequences when you and I are in rebellion to God. There's always going to be consequences if we're in rebellion. There's going to be some, some small rebellion, big rebellion. There's going to be some consequences. We talked about a few weeks ago, we all read for three days, Proverbs 3, whom the Lord loves, he what? Chastens. We've talked about this several times, even Hebrews as well. Chastening is only for his children. If you're chastened, that's a good thing. God chastens me plenty. I don't know about you, but uh, I get a lot of chastening from the Lord. Uh, but judgment and punishment... And wrath is not for his children. That's, those, that's for those that reject God. Do we see the difference? Wrath, 
judgment and punishment are for those opposed to God, but the chastening is for those that really are in the faith. They really are the children of God. And we can see from Jonah's response that he knew he deserved the chastening. I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look to your holy temple. Yet. I've been cast out, but yet I'm going to look back to you. And although the Lord will chasten and rebuke us for our disobedience, on another level, it's always discipling us. The discipline is discipling us. And the Lord is discipling us into fulfilling his will. Into. He's disciplining and discipling, and they have the same root word anyway. Uh, He's disciplining and discipling us into fulfilling his will. God says, I have created you, I have saved you to fulfill my will, not your will. As Jesus prayed in the garden, thy will be done. Right? Jesus never resisted the will of God, but all of us in this room have at times resisted the will of God. Every single person here has at times resisted the will of God. Why? Because you're all imperfect like me. At times we've resisted the will of God. Pastor Joe Foch told us as pastors um, that we would all prefer, he said, I know you guys, you're just like me. He goes, you'd all prefer the correspondence course with this. Someone else to learn the chastening. But there is no correspondence course. We all learn the chastening of the Lord. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. If you've never been chastened, you've not been loved by God. You can't separate the one. If you try and remove the chastening, you have to remove the love from the verse. They go hand in hand. It's not comfortable. I've never really, this is pleasant, but it's necessary. He knows. He said, Lord, I, I, I've been cast out of your sight, but I'm going to look again to you. Even when we're walking faithfully, how about this? Even when we're walking faithfully, man, I'm doing everything, Lord. I'm loving you more. I'm worshiping you more. I'm praying sharing my faith, I'm loving my spouse correctly, finally, I'm teaching the kids, I'm doing my best, I'm confessing as things come up, I'm not letting them sit there and, and just kind of fester. Even when we're walking faithfully, he still disciplines us and shows us blind spots. Did you know we all have blind spots? Did you know Jonah had blind spots? Jonah didn't know they were blind spots because they were blind spots. Blind spots, by definition, you don't even know you have them. But guess who knows you have them? People around you. People around you. One of the things I was thinking about, Lord, I was going to ask even our elders, tell me some of the things. I want to, you know, sometimes I want to know my, some of whom I can see, and they're not, if you can see them, they're not even blind spots. Now you can actually just uh, say, hey, pray for me in this area. I want to grow in this. And I hope you do that. I tell people all the time. Hey, pray for me. I, I really want to grow in this. I'm really not that faithful in this, or I'm not, I want to grow in that. But the blind spots, you don't see at all. And God will show you. He'll he can discipline and show us blind spots that we're not even seeing. Job was, would you believe, would you agree with me that Job was already faithful? Say so he was the most righteous man on the earth. That's pretty, that qualifies as fairly faithful compared to everybody else. And yet, we know God allowed his trials even when he was faithful. Not only that, all the while God was perfecting Job, he was simultaneously correcting Job because it's at the end of the book where Job says, therefore I abhor myself 
and repent in dust and ashes. So God says, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the gold brick that you are that's 14 karat gold and make you into 24 karat gold. You know, we don't like going from 14 karat to 24 karat. We're like, hey, I, I'm, I'm a gold brick. Everybody else over here is copper. God says, I don't, I don't care. I'm going to get you to a higher percentage. That's what he did with Job. I mean, Jonah's issue was different, but my point is I want you to understand that correcting comes even if you are walking faithfully. You'll still get corrected. You'll still get chastened. The Lord loves. Next one, number six. Um, it's also in verse four still. So we're keying off two parts of the same verse. Yet I will look again to your holy temple. He was resolved, being Jonah, not to be bitter but to look up. Sometimes we just want to get bitter. We fit, we, I've been chasing too long, Lord. I've been corrected too long. This is too hard. This is too difficult. I'm just going to get bitter. But Jonah resolved not to get bitter, but to look up. Jonah prayed rather than pouted. Jonah prayed rather than pouted. A lot of times we'll feel like pouting. We'll spiritualize it. We won't call it that. But that's what God will call it. I love uh, jo Joshua's on his face weeping before the Lord about the loss of Ai. You know God's uh, gentle statement to him? Get up. Why are you doing this? Joshua thought, I, I thought I was doing something really righteous here. God's like, no, there's a bunch of sin in the camp. Get off your face. It's your fault. So that's what he's telling him. We don't like to hear that sometimes, but and that can make, and you know, Joshua didn't get bitter about it. He said, all right, Lord, you're right. Job's wife wanted Job to do what? Just curse God and die. Get bitter. Give God a piece of your mind. I've learned that doesn't work. God, he's not moved by our emotions. He's not moved by us saying, I'm, I'm going to not talk to you for a while. God doesn't, he's not moved by us like that. But Job's wife said, yeah, just be done with it. She saw no merit in patiently enduring the trials and any correction that may have been involved. She didn't think it was worth it at that time. By the way, she appears to come around because the Lord re, uh, gives her children at the end and everything's restored. So I think that you know, God does a good work in her. But I'm saying at that time, she wanted to be bitter and she wanted Job to be bitter. We can choose to be bitter and angry at God for the things he's allowed in our life. But you won't find a single place in Scripture. You won't find a single place in, in, in Christian history anywhere where it's worked or forced God's hand. Did you hear me? You can choose to be bitter, but you'll never find a place anywhere in Scripture where anyone bitter has forced God's hand. You can't force God's hand with bitterness. Remember, he's attracted to what? Weakness, not bitterness. Weakness, humility. You can find hundreds, though, of testimonies of people who saw transformation, chains broken, healing, restoration, miracles, and new joy when they looked up to God and his mercy seat rather than shaking their fist at God, shouting at God or walking away from God. And whether we're in pain and hardship for the things that we brought on ourselves, 
due to sin, slackness, or God's just disciplining and perfecting us through a season of trials. Painful ones, too. We're wise to do what? To do what Jonah did. Look up. In spite of everything, look to his holy temple and say, Lord, I need mercy and grace. That's the wise thing to do. It's the only solution, and Jonah knew it. Remember, he had a walk with God. He already knew the word of God. He already knew what Moses did. He already knew what Joshua did. He said, I got to do what they did. And that's what he did. Number seven. Goes on in verse five to seven. The water surrounded me even to the deep, closed around me. The weeds wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed around me forever. You've brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. He felt this despair deep in his soul, in his inner man. He said the waters all the way to his soul, as we uh, referenced earlier. Jonah was in a depth of despair that he had never experienced before. Even as he was praying by faith, he could see that absolutely nothing he could see absolutely nothing that was, except that God was hearing him. It was dark, but he still believed God was hearing him, even though it was pitch black dark. Sometimes you, in your life it'll feel pitch black dark, but you can know God's still hearing. You're like this, but you know God hears. But in this dark, desperate place, it weighed on his soul. You and I can't physically touch our soul, but the Bible seems to make it clear that things can actually impact, and we can feel it at the soul weight level. When you finally have, as a believer, a soul-level crisis, you'll know it. You'll know it. You'll know when you've had a soul-level crisis. It's not simply irritating, although it can be. It's not simply agitating, although it probably will be. It's not simply inconvenient or even just painful. It's vexing. It's draining. It's anguish. And many things in life can bring that kind of soul-level crisis. Why people feel suicidal, why they feel anxious, why they feel depressed, why they just want to give up and throw in the towel, why they want to say, I don't even want to follow Christ anymore. People will say things like that. They even love the Lord, and 10 minutes later, people on their knees saying, Lord, I forgive me, right? People can do that because we people, right? That's us. Soul-level. That's where Jonah was feeling. And his soul, he's like, I'm crushed. My soul's fainting. In other words, it's like, it's like, a, it's like an aluminum can being collapsed, getting crushed. The Bible has a lot to say about this. In Psalm 63:1, it says, My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. A soul that says, Lord, I, I'm, I'm so thirsty for your help. Psalm, Psalm 13.2, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily, daily? I mean, you may be there right now. You're having daily sorrow. It's deep in your soul. It feels like just a, a knife cutting. 2 Corinthians 1.9, Paul speaking, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust. I love this. That we should not trust in ourselves, but God who raises the dead. Aren't you glad that Jesus can raise dead people? 
himself, but anybody else? Johnson Willis can't do that, right? All the hospitals in town, they can't do that. St. Francis can't do that. And so what Paul was saying is Paul states here, he goes, the things were so hard it felt like death in our walk. It felt like we were on a death walk, Paul said. That's what it felt like to him. But in desperate times, and in any times, Paul said, you cannot, 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 cannot trust yourself. Don't trust yourself. Yourself has no wisdom, no counsel, nothing but bad ideas. The Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked. Do not trust yourself. Brother and sister, if I get, Paul said we could not trust her. And now if Paul can't trust himself, who can? Think about that. That's why he said, even he said, oh, wretched man that I am. If Paul couldn't trust himself, if Isaiah couldn't trust himself, if David, David couldn't trust himself, why would we think we could trust our counsel? Well, I think, finish that sentence. I think, God said, you don't know what to think. You'll think things that are counter. So, but you have to say, at this time, I'll get in my face in the Word and say, Lord, what, what do you say about all this? What does the Lord say? Paul said, you can't trust yourself. We can only trust Christ and his word. Christ and his word. I love my wife. She'd give me great counsel. But at the soul level, even my wife can't minister to my soul. Only Jesus can. Amen? You might have a great spouse, but your spouse can't minister to your soul. Only Jesus can. Your spouse can agree on the word, but can't. only the word can minister to your soul. Your mom or dad can't do it. Your best friend, it has to be. The Lord. Paul said, don't trust yourself, trust the word. Um, truth is the doorway. This is hard for us to understand, but the Bible makes Truth is the doorway to peace and comfort. Listen to this quote. Look at this quote from uh, C.S. Lewis. I hope this uh, is a blessing to you. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth. Only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin, and in the end, despair. Truth brings comfort. If you're looking for comfort, you'll never find it. So no matter how tough things are, you say, Lord, I need to get more. What is your word telling me? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Let the word of God minister to your soul. Yes, he can put people around you that agree, and they can put an arm around you. That's good, but let the word be the centerpiece. Truth and love. I love Psalm 23.3. You know this little part. He restores my what? Soul. David already had a relationship with God. He, you can be saved and you still need a soul restoration here tonight. A soul restoration. Years of, years of being saved, you'll have different times where you'll need a soul restoration. He rest refreshes my soul, restores my soul. All of those are the same thing. God, it's kind of like the sponge is dry and it needs, you need the Holy Spirit to just drench it. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God, we just read this a few weeks ago, is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. Lately, every time I run into things that are just kind of like, Lord, I'm overwhelmed by this, I said, you know, I don't know who, um, I think it was Elizabeth Elliot said, no matter what, get on your knees until you find peace, and then and only then get up. And I found that prayer, praise, worship, confession, those are the only things that will settle your soul 
but it has to, even that has to be centered on the Word. In other words, you have to have verses that, you're taught, that God speaks to the verse, then you talk to the Lord, you're on your knees, and that is the way God will minister comfort. Through what? The truth of His Word. Hebrews 4.12, let the arrow go in, and instead of an arrow going in for death, it's doing the opposite. The arrow goes in, it's like actually a transfusion of the lifeblood of God, of the lifeblood of Jesus into our soul. Finishing up the last few here, number eight. Uh, found in verse seven, when my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord and my prayer went up to you in your holy temple. See, this truth, it's like binoculars. It actually, the focus starts to come in. And God says, you thought it was all about you, Jonah. You thought it was all about you, Tim. You thought it was all about you, whoever you are here tonight. God's like, I'm going to take your binoculars, and it's not about you. It's about me. It's about my holiness. He remembered the Lord, his authority, and his holiness. Nothing will settle us than taking our eyes off us. It is a great thing when we just don't focus on us and we focus on God. It's liberating to not to focus on us and to focus on God. It's the knowledge of the word, that relationship born of the Spirit that prompts us by the Spirit to remember who God is, where he sits, and to bow there, and not just bow there, worship there. Of course, bowing is a form of worship. In the middle of a crisis, as I said earlier, stop, pray, praise. Stay on your face until that peace comes. Just stay right there. Say, Lord, I'm going to stay here and worship. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. Like, just, just, Satan can't stand it when we take our eyes off us and put our eyes on the Lord. That's what, I mean, Jonah's still in the same dark place, is he not? He can't see the throne room of God. He can't even see light yet. He's still in the darkest place. Nothing has changed. Understand here at point number eight, uh, nothing's changed. He's still in the same place. He's not moved. So you and I got to understand, as we're moving through this prayer so far, no change in circumstance. Are you following that? What's changed? Jonah's direction. He's in the dark, but a compass to heaven is guiding him. It's the Holy Spirit saying by the word, you haven't changed your circumstance, but God is now becoming more real to you in that dark place. Last two, number nine. He says, verse eight, now he starts to preach to himself. Jonah starts to get the message on here to himself. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Now, Jonah was called to be a pastor, so he's preaching to himself in a dark belly of a fish, no audience but the Lord, an audience of one there. And he's like, I'm going to preach to myself the word of God. He realized that continued idolatry spurns the mercy of God. Now, we know the Ninevites were idolatrous, but Jonah now realizes that what? He was idolatrous. See, this is the great thing about all of us here. It's easy for us to point to all the worldliness in America, and God says, but you got your idols. You got your idols. You got things that you will not let go of, things that you're going to hold on to. You've got your little pet things, your little, uh, you know, your little idols of this, no one's touching this, this is my right. 
Jonah thought, you know, I'm going to get on my own little throne and say, I'm not going to Nineveh, I'm going this way. See, it wasn't just about the Ninevites in the world. His self-will had been an offense to God. Our self-will in this room sometimes, and we all have it, is offensive to God. He's not going to tolerate it. He's going to correct it, which is for our good. He realizes that he had his little idols. If he remained in rebellion, he'd do what? He'd spurn the mercy of God. He'd spurn the grace of God. He doesn't want to spurn the mercy and grace of God in his own life. A lot of our dark belly situations is our own doing, amen? If we're really honest and we stop making excuses, God will say, whose fault is this? And we will raise both hands. Say, Lord, it's mine. And it's not usually what it is. It's not something we did that moment. God said, no, no, I told you to stop doing this five years ago or five months ago. And you continue to make an excuse for it, an allowance for it, and say, well, but uh, other people are worse than me. And, you know, I, and God says, look, finally, I'm dealing with it. Amen? Oh, it's not fun. But it's really liberating. Say, Lord, forgive me for these idols, idols of pride idols of my stuff, idols of my time, my talent, my treasure, my bitterness, my whatever it is. And Jonah says, I don't want to spurn your grace and mercy. We need God's mercy, don't we? It's new every day. But when he reveals and instructs, and he will, especially in his word, we have to obey and adjust, don't we? When he reveals, we have to obey and adjust. God is ready to pardon. God is ready to forgive. But we have to humble ourselves and be honest with the Lord. And say, Lord, I don't want to play games. I want to just be honest with you. I've blown it in this area. Verse 9. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation, Lord, I will sacrifice to you. We have a picture here. He offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving, surrender. This is like to confess, Lord, I'm coming back home. And I'm going to present my sacrifice. As Romans says, 12.1, we present ourselves a living sacrifice. Lord, I'm throwing myself back on the altar. I'm sorry I got off and tried to run to Tarshish. I'm sorry I got off and tried to run my own direction. And all of us have done this. And we might have done it this week. And the Lord's like, I want you to get back on the altar. A sacrifice. Romans 1 tells us the core. He also says here, um, I will offer the voice of thanksgiving. Now, notice his circumstances still haven't changed. How can you be thankful? You still, the weeds are still around his head. The smell is still there. The darkness is still there. Nothing has changed, and he starts to have a praise service. He starts thanking God. Don't wait till the light comes to praise. Praise well before. So Romans 1 tells us that the core of the world, the core of the world's rebellion, according to Paul in Romans 1, is the sin in the hearts of mankind to be unthankful. Isn't that amazing? So they were unthankful, and then all kinds of sin followed after that. Unthankful. So while he's still there in this pit, in this prison, in the fish, in the whale, he thanks God for his goodness. God, thank you for your goodness. He can't offer a sacrifice. He can't offer an animal sacrifice, so the only sacrifice he can do is what? Sacrifice of his lips. You can do that driving to work tomorrow. You can offer the sacrifice of your lips. But it's genuine, isn't it? He acknowledges it's salvation of the Lord. You might not have everything you think you need in life, nor me, but guess what we have? Salvation. Salvation. 
Everything else is small compared to that, isn't it? Jesus said, what do a prophet you gain the entire world and lose your own what? Soul. So God's like, look, I've given you salvation. If you can't think of anything else to be thankful for, start thanking me for that. But that will lead to a lot of other things. Then you'll start to be thankful for, oh, yeah, I forgot. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for that I still have a job. Thank you that I wasn't in the towers on 9-11, that I'm actually here, right? Thank you that I wasn't one of the firemen that day. Thank you that I'm not... I wasn't beheaded uh, like some of our brothers and sisters were some around the world. And we were whining and complaining. We, said, we just start thanking God. This is after confession. This is that. But all of this is taking place. Still so far, no circumstantial change for Jonah and all this. This three days for you might be three months or three years. No circumstantial change. But then it comes. So the Lord, the Lord hears all this, sees it all, sees the genuineness of it. This is awesome. We get to finish on a high note here. So the Lord spoke to the fish. Fish listen to God better than people do. The Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited. That's a beautiful way of saying it. Uh, you have arrived at your destination. You know, so, the, uh, ding, you know, seatbelt light comes on. Jonah, it's time to depart. God's response. Isn't that great? God brings deliverance and answered prayer. Answered prayer. It finally came. Some of you are going to have your moment not too far off where God's going to have the fish vomit you out. You'll reach your destiny. It's going to be good. You're going to get back to dry land. You're not going to have the weeds around your head. But it, if the circumstances haven't changed yet, you still have to follow Jonah's prayer pattern. Amen? You still have to follow the prayer pattern. I still have to follow the prayer pattern. This is the same. This blueprint is the same for all of us. There's no, uh, like, do I get an amendment? Do I only have to do five of these? No, everybody has the same bullet points to follow. I love this from 1 Peter 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Some of you say, well, my little while is feel a really, really long time. I've had things I've been praying about for seven full years that have not changed. And I say, Lord, Lord, when, 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 when? You probably have it too. If need be, you've been grieved by various trials. God's like, but in a little while, you're going to come through, and you're going to be 14 karat gold, now you're 18 karat gold. And you get another one in your 20 karat gold, and you're 22 karat gold. And you'll never get 24 karat, actually. You'll just, you'll just, for, then it's like, uh, uh, Sam and I were talking about, you know, growth when you, uh, growth from 1 to 2 is 100%. Growth from 27 to 28 is small, right? So the longer you're with the Lord, your growth pattern, but the trials are just as hard. Matter of fact, they're harder, they're harder trials to get from 27 to 28 on the growth pattern than they were when you are a kid. Your kids are like, the hardest thing of the kid is, this test is so hard. It's like a math test. And your life, you're like, no, this is a test for a little while. But here's the good news. Again, God soon, if we follow his path, you're going to get spit out to dry land. And God's like, you've made it. You listened. You obeyed. You worshiped. You stopped complaining. You took responsibility. You said, and all this stuff, and now you're worshiping again. This, Jesus said the Father is looking for what? True worshipers. True worshipers. John chapter 4, Moses recovered, David recovered, Job recovered, Peter recovered, joy was, was restored, ministry, ministry was restored, 
God wants to do that and will do that in us like he did in Jonah, even if we've really blown it like Jonah had really blown it. Amen? That's love. Jesus is the what? The way, the truth, and the life. He's the way out of our dark belly fish situations. He's the truth to focus on while we're making our way out, and he's the life in there and when we get out of there. Amen? That's the truth. Let's close in prayer. Father, as we just bow our heads, Lord, we're thankful that you've given us not just a hypothetical situation, but Jonah was a real human being like us that was vexed. Yes, he brought it on himself, but we brought a lot on our own self too. Job hadn't brought it on himself, and yet he endured. And so we see, Lord, that you'll allow chastening in our rebellion, but also in our faith, Lord, to test us, to see where we're at, to grow more, to surrender more, that you're attracted to weakness and you're attracted to worship. And, Lord, I pray that um, we would all surrender that place in our hearts. With our heads bowed, if there's anyone here say, I, I really, I just want to ask you one simple question. I really need this message. Raise your hand. Whoever you may be. I'm, my hand's up, and I preached it to myself. If you weren't here, I'd have preached it. Jonah preached it all by himself in the darkness. Lord, I want to pray for these hands that have been raised. And Lord, I pray that as we just close in worship, that if there's anything hindering us with you, with other people, Lord, that you would, we'd make these things right with you, Lord. Cleanse us. Forgive us. Restore us to worship. Forgive us, Lord, of all these things. It's in Jesus' name.